But even though we call it a daily devotional, we've actually given you just five for each week because we know how life goes. And, and so you can catch up on last week. Um, Johnny's message w- from last Sunday would have been online, except something special happened in the Stoner family. Does anybody know what happened in the Stoner family? There was a little baby born, right? And so Brett wasn't doing his usual volunteer effort of putting the message up online for all of us. Um, but we expect in this coming week, you'll be able to get a copy and download that uh, to get the message that John preached last Sunday uh, from Psalm number one. As part of this family of churches together, it's kind of fun for us to be in step. My daughter actually, we have a seven-year-old daughter and a four-year-old daughter. Our seven-year-old daughter wanted to stay at Cross Point this morning because she would have missed her Sunday school lesson uh, if she'd come with. Because as we're rotating around, the Sunday school lessons are in step with what's happening upstairs is the same as what's happening downstairs. And she wanted to make sure that she was in her regular class out at Cross Point. We also have for you a little reading plan. If you'd like to do a bit of the above and beyond, we know we have some folks who want to do more readings beyond what's in the devotional book. This is a little reading plan to take you from September 12th through November 14th to have read the entire book of Psalms. There's 150 of them. And this is a great chance for you to saturate yourself a bit in what is a pretty special aspect of scripture. The Psalms are special to us because in the Psalms, we find God speaking to us through people speaking to God. This is a collection of songs and prayers. Some of them are praises and celebration because of great things that God has done to deliver his people. And some of them are pretty messy, crying out to God in the midst of trouble and complaining and saying, God, how can you do this? Where are you really? And so there's a variety of types of literature and emotional expression that shows up in the Psalms. This morning, we're going to take a look at Psalm 62. Psalm 62 is, it's not a full-on celebration of God's victory, nor is it a full-on complaint. It's a bit of a blend. As the psalmist in this one is not doing a lot of praying, he's telling about his own experience, and he's encouraging and exhorting those who hear him to respond to God in a particular way. So it's a blend of testimony and teaching, and... We'll go ahead and read that together. If you have your own Bible with you, feel free to turn to it and follow along in the translation you have. We'll also have up on the screen, I believe, the verses from the New International Version. This is a psalm that is attributed to David, but we're not told what was going on in his life. He says this, verse one, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And then he shifts the gears a little bit. Now he's addressing the crisis that he's in. He's now speaking, in a sense, to those who are assaulting him. He says, how long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. 
Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. It's another shift in gears in the next couple of verses. He says, lowborn men are but a breath. The highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard. That you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person. I was going to say all people. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. So David is writing this apparently while he's still in the midst of the trouble. He says in verse three, how long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? He's in the middle of it. This is not a psalm that was written afterwards. This isn't the post-game celebration after the conclusion was clear. He's in the middle of it. He's writing in the midst of the chaos and challenge of some people who are out to get him. And so it's a significant psalm for us because he's talking about finding rest in God while life is still a mess. And that's, that's our focus here now. Is what does it look like for you and I to find a place of rest for our own souls in God when the going is still tough, when trouble's going on all around us, when people are out to get us, when we think we're going to lose our job or we've already left our job or we have relationships in crisis? How do we find rest for our souls in God? And, and David makes this very picturesque. He said, would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. David went through a lot of ups and downs in his life. If you, if you know the scriptural biography of, of David, he started out as a shepherd. He ended up killing Goliath. He was on top of the world, except the guy who was then king was out to get him. But whoops, David had been anointed king, but he wasn't king. And so it was this really complex and challenging period of years and years in his life of being on the run. And then reversal, he ended up as king. And apparently just being king didn't simplify life or eliminate all of its challenges. I infer from it saying they intend to topple him from his lofty place to say this is probably was something that was going on while he was king. And so just thinking about a lofty place, how secure I feel has a lot to do with what I'm standing on. I feel pretty secure standing on the floor, but if you put me up a couple of steps, life gets a little more wobbly, if you know what I mean. And how, what this little ladder is standing on has a lot to do with whether I feel secure getting up on it. If the ladder is on secure foundation, I feel much more comfortable stepping on it. Here, trying to stand on this, I don't think I want to go up there. That's exactly what I say to my kids, Don. You know, when my kids do something, I say, that was a good choice, honey. And so, now, I'm going to need a couple of volunteers to help me with this. If, if we could get a little help. Ashley, come on up. And Adam, come on up. Now, Ashley is a lot smaller than I am. But you know what? The higher I go up, the wigglier I end up. And if you could stand here and aim this way, right? Can you topple me from this lofty place? Not you, Adam. Ashley. <laughs> Yeah. Can you, can you push me off this? Yeah. I, I, I can't stand up there on my own. I might be able to try to brace myself a bit, but let's face it. I'm going down. Is that true? That's true. Right. 
you know, I am, I'm actually bigger than Ashley. I weigh more than Ashley. But there's something about being in a vulnerable place that I can't fix that. And David on some level says that's how he feels. He describes himself as a leaning wall, a tottering fence. He says, there's nothing I can do to keep myself from getting knocked over here. I am vulnerable. Now, Adam, this is where I need your help. Stand up here behind me. Because what David is saying, he says, my soul has found rest in God alone. My security, how does he describe the Lord? He says, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. I'm going to need the bear hug version here though, because Ashley's pretty strong. Okay, I'm much more secure right now. Ashley, go ahead. Now try to push me over. It's a different situation, isn't it? It's a different situation when God's got a hold of you. Because to try to stand on your own, there's all kinds of things that can knock us down. But when God's got us, when we are in, as David put it, already in a fortress, then we are secure. And it's not a security that I find because I've got enough money in the bank to handle any ups and downs in the economy. Not so. That can vanish real quick. It's not because, oh good, I have the kind of job that won't get hurt in this economy. There aren't any. It's not because my wife would never... No. It's because the Lord is my refuge. And so David has found a place of rest for his soul even while his enemies are trying to topple him down because he's not trusting in himself. He's trusting in the Lord. But look at this in verse 5. In verse 2, in verse 1, he says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. And notice that that's a present tense. He's, he's not describing, he didn't say my soul found rest, my salvation came from him. He's talking about something that's ongoing here right now. My soul finds and continues to find rest in God. You'll, you may have a translation that says my soul waits in silence on the Lord. There's an ongoing time course here. And in verse 5, he steps that up a notch by speaking to his own soul. And he says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. He says in verse 1, I found it. And in verse 5, he says, find it. It's because just being there once, just finding a place of rest and security, friends, it's not permanent unless we continue to pursue the Lord. Rest is not something that finds us. Anxiety and fear and trouble find us. But rest and security don't find us. We find rest when we pursue the Lord. Rest is a result. It's not an automatic thing that comes to us. David says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. We find rest when we pursue the Lord. Rest isn't automatic. We've got to seek and find rest in God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, it's verse 11, well, verses 9 through 11, And he's talking about how there remains now. There is a rest for God's people because of what Jesus has done. There's a place where we can rest from our efforts to try to please God, fix our lives, control everything that might be going on around us. And we can rest in God because of what Jesus has done. And in verse 11, it says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. It actually takes effort to find rest in God. Rest is a result. When we pursue Jesus, we find his rest. 
So I think, I hope that helps us kind of diffuse the myth that rest, you know, being at rest or being tense is about our personalities because it's not just a personality thing. Rest is not passivity. Some people are more mellow than others. Personally, I'm a fairly high energy, tightly wound control freak. Okay, that is not in God's eyes an excuse not to trust him. That's, I can't say, God, that's just the way I am. You know I'm wound tight. You made me. I'm just going to worry instead of trust you. Oh, I'm so called to honor God by trusting him and finding rest in God. And some people, by personality, are really mellow. And they're easygoing. And you know what? Yeah, the house is burning. Let's, let's uh, head on out. Yeah, we better be on our way. And they, they don't mind being late or you know, lots of things that drive me up the wall. But that's something different than what David's talking about. David's talking about finding rest in God that isn't rooted in passivity or personality, but in a person. His name's Jesus. It's finding our rest in God alone. But you know, often we're, we're looking to find our rest somewhere else than in God alone. This God alone shows up each time he talks about it. But we look other places I, I can tell that every time I go on my Facebook profile, you know, homepage, that a knee-jerk reaction for us when something's going wrong, often can be to reach to other people, you know, and boom, post it up there, pull out the smartphone, send a, send a new post. I can't believe this is happening to me. And quickly, we'll get half a dozen likes or encouraging, sympathetic responses from our Facebook friends. And it makes us feel a little bit better. We've got some sympathy. It's a different thing than what David says. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. My sympathy may come from my friends. I may find support and encouragement and help from others, but my salvation comes from the Lord. So where should I find my rest? Another group of people who take my side in a conflict or who'll be there to to help? or in God alone. If if we take a look here at these next verses, 9 and 10, he says, low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. He like just wipes out the worth of help from anybody right there. It's an extreme statement. It's the kind of extreme statement that the Psalms are filled with because the Psalms find the power in the in repetition, in contrast, in the emphasis that's found, in drawing things side by side to compare this with that. And here, David is bringing a contrast between the help that the Lord can bring and what other people have to offer. He says, my soul finds rest in God alone. He says, trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him. God is our refuge. And everybody else, they got nothing to offer. He says, low-born men are but a breath. Highborn are but a life that weighed on a balance. They are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Now, my own background before going into uh, ministry like this uh, was chemistry. I was a chemistry professor. And so this imagery of dust on a balance or just a breath, it, for me, it's vivid. It, it's those little flecks of things that you just you know, wipe off the balance before you do your real measurement. And if you look at it, it's just... If you had two pans and you piled everything that people could offer on this side, David said, it doesn't even tip it. It doesn't even budge a bit. Now, wait a minute. I, on some level, I mean, we know better, right? How many of you have ever been helped by somebody in your life? 
I have. I was tremendously helped. My wife was recently in Africa for three weeks. Man, if it hadn't been for help from other people, with my two small kids, life would have been much more difficult. I had great help from other people. What David is getting at here is not the idea that you should live an isolated life where you don't have anybody else involved. It's just you and Jesus somehow. And you're disconnected from all people and community and friends and support are supposed to be worthless. That's not it. He's trying to make a powerful comparison to say that compared to the salvation of the Lord, putting our trust in people is foolish. You can tell that's that's the direction he's going because he does the same thing in verse 10, talking about trusting in things. In verse 10, he says, do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Don't put your trust in the leverage that you've got to get other people to give you what you want. Don't put your trust in what you can grab a hold of and get for yourself. Even if you are blessed with great riches, don't set your heart on them. Now, the parallelism here is the same when it's talking about our relationships with people. If you're blessed with lots of friends, though your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. If God gives you great friends, maybe they're low-born people of not a lot of influence, or maybe they're influential people who can get stuff done, don't set your heart on them. Don't set your heart on your things or on the other people in your life. When it comes to finding rest in your soul, put your trust in the Lord alone. Verse 7 helps us get at one of, the, one of the aspects of what real soul rest has got to include. Uh, in verse 7, he says, My salvation and my honor depend on God. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He's my mighty rock, my refuge. It's not just my salvation, but my reputation that depends on the Lord. I, I was talking with a friend this week. I... They, they've had a situation come up with one of their teenagers uh, and it's messy. And one of, one of his knee-jerk responses was, what are people going to think of us? We've worked so hard to be the kind of family that people can look up to, can see how to do it right and how when you talk about being a Christian, you really do it. And right away, there's a crisis with his child And one of his first thoughts is, my reputation. What are people going to think about us? He's not alone. (laughs) That's very often what we think. We have one reaction that is about our salvation. And one reaction, I I don't mean where you spend eternity. I mean, uh uh-oh, I could lose my job because of this. God, I need your rescue so that I can pay the bills and have a job. And then there's the other part about what are other people going to think about me if or when. And here David says, my salvation and my honor depend on God. And when troubles come, when stuff happens in life, and it can be people who are out to get us, it can be sort of these more abstract economic forces that become personal when they hit our lives. It can be other relationships. When things hit our lives has a way of exposing what's really precious to us. has a way of helping us see for ourselves, what do I really prize? What matters to me? What do I trust in? And what do I consider valuable? 
often our reputation means more to us than it ought to. Well, we find that we've hooked our reputation on other relationships, on stuff, the car we drive, the job we have, the clothes we wear, our haircut, our physical appearance. I could go on. The, and, and here scripture is saying, my salvation and my honor depend on God. David is this tottering wall. He's like, I could go down. I might not be king anymore if these guys who are doing whatever they're doing to take him out succeed. I, I infer from the fact that verse 10 is in here that they had some influence. They had money. They had power. They had political leverage. They, they were in the position like where Ashley was, where even though he was king, they had the leverage. They might be able to take him out and take him down. What's going to happen? If I'm not king anymore, then who am I? What have I got? Well, historically, he'd probably be dead. Right? But you may have a position of influence. If you get demoted at work, what's it do to your self-image? If you have a friend or your kids or your own teenagers get in trouble and it reflects on your family, how? David has recognized my honor also depends on God. In verse 8, he gives us the very practical step for how do we enter into this rest? How do we actually find rest for our souls in God? He says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. The practical side of pursuing rest in God looks like pouring out our hearts to him. Pour out your heart to him. Pour out. That can get messy. I mean, pour out is... Here it is. Pour out is what happens when you have something that's full and you open it up and you make it empty. Right? Ready, Frank? I so appreciate you volunteering. (laughs) Right? And there's stuff in here in our lives that we often try to just keep bottled up. It's our fears. I find this, you know, there's something about saying your fear out loud that can make it seem more scary. Or at least we're afraid to even vocalize certain fears because we think it'll make it more real or even more likely to happen if we admit that we have it. There's things that we bottle up, things that we want and hope or are afraid of, and we don't want to pour them out. And here God's saying to us, Pour out your heart to him. The, the irony of it, of course, when we try to keep it bottled up, it's not like God doesn't know what's in there. You know, from God's perspective, it's a transparent bottle. There's nothing hidden in here. God knows it all. Now, if you, if you grew up in church, well, I guess, or if you didn't, it's easy for us to have this idea that we're only supposed to say certain kinds of things to God. That there's certain kinds of things that are out of bounds for talking to the Lord. That if somehow we, we start to question him, say that we don't think he's doing things the way that we think he should do, that somehow God can't handle that or he'll get angry at us if we do that. Or if we admit what's really going on, on the inside and it doesn't look like what we think faith is supposed to look like, Somehow that's out of bounds. We're not supposed to do that. Uh, The book of Psalms tells us something very different. We find in the Psalms a wide variety of expressions uh, towards God that a lot of which don't look very faith-filled. Some of them are angry. 
uh, Johnny is preaching this morning a living word from Psalm 13. He'll, he'll bring this message again next week here. You'll see. Take a look. Uh, read Psalm 13 ahead of time. And, and you'll see. There's stuff that was inspired by God's spirit that looks very different than what we might think faith is supposed to look like. Now, if this is got really God's word to us, speaking about Psalm 62 in particular here as part of the book of Psalms, part of the Bible, if this is really God's word to us, then we're saying that David wrote this with an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this exhortation in verse 8, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. That exhortation is an invitation. It's not just David saying, guys, do this. It's the Holy Spirit through David inviting us to relate to God in this kind of way. To say, pour out your hearts to me because I'm your refuge. Something really happened, healthy happens when we pour out our hearts to him. Finding rest in God is not automatic. It happens as we pursue, it's a result of us pursuing him. How do we do that? How do we get close to him? Verse 8 says, pour out your hearts to him. And so there's these three parts of it. It's pour out. Don't keep it bottled up. Pour it out. Secondly, pour out your heart to him. Sometimes we're just telling God about the situation. And it's information about what's going on. And God, you know, those test results came back and the MRI is coming or they're going to have to do a second um, second biopsy on this. God, you know... Yes, God knows that. Now, how do you feel about it? Part your heart to him. There's a difference between the information and what's really going on here. Say, and God, I'm afraid it's cancer. That's pouring out your heart to him. Not just talking about the information. Thirdly, firstly, pour out. Secondly, make sure what you're pouring out is your heart. Thirdly, to him. To him. Don't be afraid to bring it to him. He's the one who can really help. Our friends will bring us sympathy and support, but the Lord can bring us salvation. For me, it's been a, this, this has been, I think continues to be a pretty long personal journey uh, on a lot of levels. One, um, I was, I'm a professor's kid. I was raised uh, learning from an early age that uh, respectable, educated people do not get involved in anything emotionalistic. My nickname when I was in school was Mr. Spock. I was pretty proud of that. Uh, because it was all logical and none of it was emotional. And so all of this talk about pouring out heart and stuff like that uh, makes me a bit uncomfortable in the first place. And, but nonetheless, um, I, I found there was a lot of things I'm afraid of. And I would tend to respond to those by being a, a hyper-confident overachiever and control freak, try to manage it as best I can. But it was after I got married that I discovered that I had this, this person in my life who was so precious to me that I couldn't always protect and I certainly can't always control. And, and when, when my wife was in medical school, I was uh, in grad school, we were living in what we might call an affordable neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. Um, and there were some genuine risks uh, about going back and forth from our apartment where uh, things weren't so safe and um, amplifying my fears uh, was you know, some of it was the reality, you know, had produced a reasonable level of fears, but I had other issues on my inside that amplified that. And when I couldn't get a hold of Karen, 
on a cell phone. And those were the early days of cell phones. We've been married almost 20 years now. And, and so they didn't always work in the first place. And, and secondly, she, she wouldn't always return a call. And when I couldn't get a hold of Karen and know where she was, uh, I'd have this panic start on my insides. I'd start climbing the walls of our little one-bedroom apartment, metaphorically. I wasn't literally climbing the walls. But I, I couldn't even pray because I was tied up in knots on my inside. I couldn't, I couldn't untangle myself to really find a breakthrough. I could say the right words, but I was so bottled up with my fears and lack of trust in God and my, yeah, at times, anger because she wasn't calling back and I'd focus in on my anger instead of actually turning to the Lord. I'm thank, so thankful to God for a couple of brothers in the church that I could call right then and say, I, I don't need to tell you the whole situation because I, what I really need to do is connect to the Lord. Let's just pray. And somehow grabbing across the phone, you know, Neil's hand in prayer and praying together would get me through. Guys, that's a different thing than me hopping on Facebook and saying, Karen's disappeared again, you know, or, you know, calling some people and say, I can't believe this is happening again. You know, why does the cell phone never work when she's supposed to be driving home? She's probably in a ditch somewhere. Can it, you know? And instead say, pray with me. Let's not talk about this. Let's go to God together. I'm not getting there by myself. Grab my hand, grab my heart. We got to get to God. Now that was from 20 years ago till about 15 years ago. And, and this has been an ongoing process. But during this last month, when my wife was in Africa for three weeks, I discovered that, yeah, we really can learn to find our rest in God. That as we continue to practice what David talks about here, God really does a work in our lives. We find experientially, we can trust him. I've found over these years that sometimes, yeah, my worst fears did happen. When my father had cancer and then he passed away, in many ways that felt to me at the time like the worst thing that could have been happening to me. And yet I discovered the Lord was there. And and this time, uh, in this past month, I, I found it very vividly. Because one of the fault lines that's run through, through our marriage, which, you know, I've already put all the dots out there. If you connect them, you'll see where I'm going. One of the fault lines that's run through our marriage has been my fear that when I really need her, she just won't be there. Either because she's too busy professionally or something else will have happened. And so for Karen to go to Africa for three weeks while I'm home with the two girls uh, could have been a real fertile ground for all of my fears. And instead, oh, I did mention, and I had surgery three days before she left. And, and so I'm recovering from surgery. And you know what? My fear of when I really need her, she's not going to be there. That's right. She wasn't. She wasn't there. And God showed up in a very special and close and precious way. Say, so, yeah, she's not, but I am. Because our souls find rest in God alone. Our hope and our help really come from him. Here's how David concludes the story in verses 11 and 12. He says, one thing God has spoken. Two things have I heard. And that's a Hebrew poetic device. It's a way of escalating. It's like, it's like you could feel it when Adam was doing one of the songs. All of a sudden he started going, dum, 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 dum. And you know, okay, we're about, we're crescendoing here. We're about to punch into a chorus. This is a way for David to say, here it comes. Here it comes. One thing God's spoken. Two things have I heard. Are you paying attention? Here it comes. It's you, O God, are strong. And that you, O Lord, are loving. It's both. God has shown himself in scripture to us. 
as strong and loving. It's not just one or the other. I mean, what would it be like if God were strong but not loving? What would that actually be like? Be a little scary. Some of us have had dads like that. Where you have an authority figure in your life who has all the power. Like, where's the love? You know, there, if you've ever been in a hurricane or an earthquake, things, it can, power without love is a scary thing. What if God were loving but not strong? Well, God, I'm glad to know you care, but can you do anything about this? Thank you, God, for caring, but can you bring any order into the chaos of my life? God, are you in control or is this all out of control? God is strong and God is loving. He's shown it to us most clearly in the cross and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Because God so loved the world that he gave his own son. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made himself a substitute to take your place and my place so that because of my sin, he took my punishment. He took your punishment on the cross. God loves us. And Jesus rose from the grave three days later. He defeated death. He destroyed the power of sin. God is strong. God is able. God is strong and loving. And we find in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Deliverer, our refuge, and our help. He's a very present help in time of need. And his promise to us is, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And when Jesus was returning to go to the Father and his disciples were freaking out because he was going to be gone, he gave them this promise of his Holy Spirit. He's come with, he said, he'll be with you and will be in you. And friends, we can be secure in God because our Lord Jesus Christ has become our substitute. He sent his spirit to come and live in our lives. Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our savior. And Lord, I, I want to thank you as well for the trials and the troubles and challenges, God, that both expose in our lives what's precious to us and expose what we trust and which give us the opportunity to get to know you, Lord, in a deeper and better way, God. Lord, if we were never in trouble, we wouldn't know what it means that you're a rescuer. God, if we never suffered with fears, God, we would never know what it means for you to calm the storm in our own lives. Lord, this morning, God, I pray that you would help us to put our trust genuinely in you. And I pray you would reveal to us, God, our own tendencies and natural, in, natural tendencies, God, to respond to situations by not trusting you, God, whether it's to try to fix it ourselves or to look to others for help, God. I pray you'd open our eyes to see the patterns of behavior we have, God, and to replace it with trust in you. And Lord, we thank you God, that your own work has been sufficient, that we can enter your own Sabbath rest through faith in your son, Jesus. Amen.